This is Take Note. It's a podcast about paying attention and keeping a notebook and the stationery that we use when we're paying attention and keeping a notebook. I'm Adam. I'm here with Ted. Ted, where you been? This idea that summer should be relaxing. What What's up with this idea? I don't know. You're like a politician. You you I'm get exhausted. a question and you answer a different question. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm sorry. I'm making lunches every day. What's up with that? I'm making lunches. Is that a euphemism? Yeah, yeah. it is now. All right. Well, we'll we're not going to find out where you've been unless it's in your What Do You Gots. What Do You Gots are basically uh, the ridiculous word phrase that we use to share with one another. It's best, it's best not to think about it too yep. hard. What we've written in our notebooks, Ted, what do you got? Well, one of the places I've been was uh, driving up and down the eastern seaboard with my family, and we were uh, we were nearing our final dest or our our vacation destination in the beaches of North Carolina. Um, driving along kind of one of the smaller highways to get over to the coast. <clears throat> uh, and here's my note: as we listened to "Walking in Memphis," we looked to the right and saw in an RV park on the back of an 80s-era RV a mural of the king himself, Elvis Presley, huh. uh, with the phrase uh, airbrush painted across, he rocked our world. A moment of intense synchronicity. Almost unbearable synchronicity. As unbearable as the the rocking received by the world <laughs> brought upon us by the king. But but seriously, I mean, you know, walking him, he's talking about Elvis. Anyway, it's a pretty fabulous moment. It's fantastic. What do you got, Adam? Well, I got some, got? I've got some synchronicity of my own. But mine, mine is, is dissonant. Here's what I wrote down. And this, this is my, what do you got? Um. Kids talking about teleportation while Chet Baker plays on the radio. That's it. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. What do you got? We were at the beach house hanging out. Somehow the topic of water spouts came up. Somehow. Uh, (laughs) May, my daughter, asked us, parents, everyone sitting around, uh, if we knew what a water spout was, I asked if they could be dangerous. Caroline said, well, they could hurt boats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what, I skipped a lot of, uh, I skipped a lot of experience there. No, they could hurt boats. Sense it, made, whatsoever? It, made, it made sense and it was funny. Okay. Listen, there's not, I don't think it's showing that we haven't recorded in a month. <laughs> the what do you gots are flagging a little i don't think the what do you gots are flagging. the banter's a plus no it's the, banter's the opposite a plus. it is the opposite my friend <laughs> the what he gots are perfectly fine <laughs> okay it's, it's everything else yep what do you got adam all right so someone i'm gonna be vague about who this was but uh i had a visitor i had a visitor <laughs> uh 
Was this a poet? Yeah, it was a poet. No, uh, someone told me that uh, someone told me that he's got a new doctor. His previous doctor used to say the following. He used to ask the following questions at every doctor's visit. How's your marriage? How's your sex life? Do you pray? Uh, see, I, I I have an eccentric PCP. Yeah? Which of those so three that, questions that, does he ask you? The first two. Does he? <laughs> the first two. Yeah. He doesn't get to the third. Well, he says, the third one he says is, how much you drinking? You like beer? I like beer. How much beer, how much beer are you drinking? That's his last one. Isn't this the guy that I cut you off beer? Yeah, yeah, it might have been that guy. He likes beer so much he doesn't want anybody else to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Uh, okay, my kids are now at theater camp, which first of all, theater camp is the kind of camp that I'm jealous of. Like, I want to be at theater camp. And I think I'm taking out on my coworkers with overly spirited monologues. <laughs> Uh, but uh, they do a, they do a play that they create, develop, you know, uh, put on through the course of the week, and uh, they all have characters in the play. And so my my nine year old, eight almost nine year old son says to me today, "Yeah, a lot of people don't know my uh, they don't know my actual name, so they just call me by my character name. His character name is God Bob. God Bob." So they're, there's a bunch of kids running around at summer camp calling my son God Bob this week. That's great. Uh, is theater camp kind of like Rushmore? A little, yeah, a little bit. They're learning more creative games than you ever, you or I ever knew how to play with pirates and you turn into a lighthouse and three people walk around the lighthouse until the hand goes up. It's... Oh, Settlers They're, of Catan. It's Settlers of Catan in uh, body motion. Got it. Settlers in motion. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. It's uh, I'm jealous. That's what I mean. They they think of cool cool fun stuff to do. Above and beyond your average. Maybe you could be an assistant counselor. Well, it's only one way to find out. Godbob.biz. Godbob.biz. Submit this form. Submit this form. Yeah. Well, you read a book, Adam, that uh, that I said was great. And I think you went and read it yourself, which is a no. It's a fun. That's a fun. That's rare, I would say, that someone says a book is great, and and someone you know, much less a dear friend, goes out and actually reads it. That's a pretty good feeling. So. You're welcome. Thanks for uh, and thank thanks you for, for recommending yeah. it. I did love Lauren yeah. Groff's Florida short story collection. Uh, yeah, you know, I think why we avoid it is because somebody tells you that it's great, and then don't you think it just there's something about that that immediately becomes daunting. Oh, you're yeah. gonna love this. Is like it makes it even worse than just. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, recommend this book. But oh, this is great. Like oh. Well, I, oh no. Yeah. Oh, and I think I think I loved this is is totally the way to go. I would never say to somebody, "You're gonna love this." Right. That's I, I I'm never gonna make that kind of an emotional commitment to a 
literary situation. But I'm glad you liked it. I mean, I was sort of floored by it. Like, yep. I think I said at the time, but she's a, she's an artisan. They, those, the stories are just, they're out of this world. My favorite, I think, is the one that I had already read that I was trying to recollect on the last episode, which is called The Midnight Zone, which is just outstanding. But um, there are many, many, like, excellent stories in there. Just, 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 you know, like, just shockingly good story after story. It becomes amazing how good they are. The one that's even, like, the one that is, seems like kind of a Trump parable which seems like a was never couldn't be a good story is great, and um, then there's a, a few that are told from the point of view of I mean a, a, of a writer living in Gainesville, Florida, which is Lauren Groff is a writer living in Gainesville, Florida, and I think she's you know from what I understand like she maybe starts there in a couple of those stories, but. It, it is not her life but it's it's kind of uh, the ones that uh that have this this narrator who seems to be the same person who seems to be a writer living in Gainesville Florida are just <laughs> kind of uh really magical for how they like she uses that to make them seem really grounded to real life and then just get so weird like it's like a you know like a little magic trick right or like a little um yes. sleight of hand thing you think you're reading totally. one kind of story and something else happens well, to make those transitions sort of seamless, sleight of hand is the perfect phrase because it's it's uh, presenting you one narrative while uh, doing dis- doing things in the background that you your brain cannot quite process but finds pleasurable, which is <laughs> like it's I, you don't read that in stories that often. Yeah, and so consistently. But she, I guess, she has a new book out, and I'll never remember the name of it, and I don't feel like looking it up. I think it's right set now, in France, but... so I think, I think what people, what our listeners should do, if they're not familiar with the internet, is you could go to the Google and you could type Lauren Groff new novel. You probably find the answer to that. Probably, probably do it on the device that you're listening to this on right now. Um, I wouldn't recommend putting that into like an AI language bot because. Those things hallucinate, man. Probably, they do hallucinate. Uh, I think every opportunity I have to put into the public sphere this very interesting thing that AIs do, which is just make stuff up completely and present them with utter and complete conviction, feeling like that might be borderline downfall of society type stuff. So I feel like I'm 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 happy to get it out into the world. Well, Don't trust an AI. Yeah, I mean, language bot. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna complicate that because I just read something that you shouldn't say that like the AI hallucinates or give it um, lifelike. Yeah. Don't 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 use a verb that gives it life because it uh it makes us think that it, that there is something um, lifelike going on even by thinking that it can yeah. even by suggesting that can, it can you. hallucinate uh, I don't know anyway our <laughs> our uh, ongoing war with artificial intelligence continues but uh, I just I just want them to know that I'll be polite to them when they're in charge um, and I've taught my children to be polite to the robots too uh, um, I, I, w- I also want to say just about Lauren Groff I have no idea how she does what she does but it seems yeah at times as though 
she finds a sliver of her real life and then says to herself, what if this shit happened? And uh, <laughs> it's a very satisfying, it's, it's yes. very, very satisfying. It's a great book and everybody should read it. And it's one of our few uh, matching five-star ratings on uh, the, the book reading app. So There you go. Yeah. Well, the other uh, literary uh, adventure I've been on is uh, the work of Raymond Chandler. Okay. Raymond Chandler. All right. Know him. The, yep. uh, the not, old not Philip Marlowe, uh, hard-boiled detective, Southern California kind of um, genre thing, you know, approach that became a genre in its own right. And that, you know, like, I love The Big Lebowski and I love Inherent Vice, those two movies, and even the book Inherent Vice, which I read by Thomas Pynchon. I love the motif of the, of the... You know, the, the private eye or pseudo private eye bumbling into these all these characters, even in Southern California, and having things seem like they're going one direction and then turn out to be totally different. And, and, and uh, Chandler more or less invented that genre. So I, for, oh, I was reading a review of some, some biography, and the biography said, well, this this guy's biography ain't nearly as good as the last biography he wrote about Raymond Chandler. So I went back and found the last biography the guy wrote about Raymond Chandler, and I thought, well, if I'm going to read this biography, I better read one of his books first. So, which one did you read? I read uh, I read uh, the High Window, which was, I mean, absurd in its plot at the end of the day, but. So, I mean, it, like, when you think Chinatown with uh, Jack Nicholson, I couldn't tell you the plot of that movie to save my life, but I remember the scenes and the conversations and the vibe, and I think, you know, Big Lebowski is even similar. It's like, I couldn't, t- I mean, it took me years to figure out what the actual plot of that movie was, but you remember all the interactions. That's how even a mediocre Raymond Chandler book is, the wisecracks, and the dialogue and the positioning and the, you know, everybody's a little sour. And then they're like, all right, fine, come on in. I'll tell you everything. Like, it's so good. Like, a total master. Total master. And the um, the biography by a guy, I think, named Anthony Foles, uh, was pretty good. A little insufferable, but kind of making the case <laughs> for Chandler. Chandler's, like, literary merit and really just sort of... In a very, it was almost like a literary biography. I would call it kind of nitpicking his uh, creative decisions and you know how it came about. And it wasn't a hardcore biography, but uh, it was it was good in its own right. But just total. I mean, he only wrote six novels, so he was not the most like. Simonon was in the conversation with him, and you know we talked about it earlier. Yeah. George Simonon wrote like eighty of these detective books that he wrote. And, you know, so it was kind of. Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, George Simonon were kind of the big, the big names in mystery. But uh, Chandler carved his own niche, I think, as just being so entertaining. And I've found that to be the case. And I've started another one. Was Chandler was Chandler an American, or was he a Brit that moved to America? He was an American. Okay. Uh, he wasn't born in Southern California. I don't think. I think he made his way there. I can't remember at the moment it's, from where. It's funny. But. I feel like I knew some of this stuff 
long time ago and I've forgotten it. Um, and I can't even remember if I read any Chandler a long time ago, but I know I've got a book that I must have bought like 15, 20 years ago that's like a collection of all of his stories, but his stories weren't really short. So it's a big, huh. it's like a book that's too big to read. You know, it's like one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, his, you know, per this biographer, uh, he really, you know, he, he wrote a lot of stories and I became, I think, quite prominent. And then, you know, once he started writing novels, he actually poached from his own stories. So he would take, he would take like two plots from a couple of his stories and then sort of change some characters and then weave the two plots together to make like one novel. Kind of fascinating and like, you know, very pragmatic approach to, to, uh, which I I tend to think of detective books as being a little more pragmatic because you got to do, you know pull the tricks of plot and motive and have it all, you know, sort of unfold at the perfect rate, which apparently was not his forte. He was not a sort of like uh, savant plot developer. He was a language guy and, uh, you know, spoke many languages, apparently had like a crazy command of like American slang. Um, and, and so that's where his books really jump. You just, you just want... Philip Marlowe, you know, in my head, he'll always be Humphrey Bogart. I haven't really seen any, any other alternatives, and how can you go wrong with Humphrey Bogart? But you just want him to interact with people. You're like, go find someone. Go find someone to mess around with and just tangle with in this slightly combative but, you know, endearing way. Hmm. It's just it's so good. And so many wisecracks. I did actually write down one response. Uh, the character's talking to someone and says, hey, wait here for a second. And the guy says, what should I do, lay an egg? And then uh, another line I wrote down was probably, let's see, Philip Marlowe speaking to two police detectives says, you boys are as cute as a couple of lost golf balls. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) I know, it makes no sense. It's funnier the less sense sense it makes, yeah. Exactly, it's amazing. And he's just, he does that throughout his work do you think delightful. you could go up to people and say especially golfers like you guys are you two are as cute as a couple of lost golf balls i think you get slugged well it's like if you say it a certain way i think people would laugh yeah it's just because the way if you, you look as cute as a couple of lost golf because you just you don't know your brain doesn't know enough to <laughs> right. feel negatively about it until even ever maybe which you know when you think about it if you're talking to two burly half-drunk armed detectives it's kind of the perfect way to engage with them in a way that sort of sounds approachable but is befuddling and belittling but only after the whiskey has worn off or something yeah uh, anyway yeah if our listeners want a little project over the next week or so just approach uh drunken armed people Right, and yep. uh, yep. and befuddle and belittle them, and then you know, let us know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I love the the little summer reading reports that we're providing. Uh, I also yep. so I'm I'm gonna drop one quick recommendation and then veer away from the subject. I just finished a Burnham Wood, new novel by Eleanor Catton, and it is like a thriller, but it's also very literary. 
I really liked it. It is nothing like Elena Ferrante, but it really reminds me of Elena Ferrante. Interesting. Um, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I just think there's certain things that she does in a completely different type of story that, like, are masterful in a way that Ferrante is masterful. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun and then a, a quite intense book. So I like that. You spell, spell her last name. I think it's C-A-T-T-A-N. Um, okay. But her first name, oh, you know, I haven't written it down, and now I've got a crisis of confidence. Her first name is Eleanor, I am fairly confident of. Uh, Don't spell Eleanor. Yeah. We can get Burnham, to that one, Burnham Wood. Yeah. Now, cool. to turn away from this just for a second, I wanted to share sure. uh, a, a, a topic-y sort of uh, topic, like a, like related to what we do on this show. A, a little uh, like productivity trick that I learned about. Uh, I, I got uh, Oliver Berkman's book, 4,000 Weeks, and, and I've read his columns, which are sort of, you know, it's kind of... He, he writes maybe about productivity, but also more just about, like, giving up on productivity. He's a really good guy, uh, really good writer. I really like him. I like his newsletter. I have recommended tips of his in our newsletter before, Oliver Berkman. And in his book, 4,000 Weeks, he, he does something which I think sells him as an expert. He has an 11-page summary of his book at the end of his book. So you don't have to, you really just, like, you don't if you don't have the time to read the book, you still get the value out of the book. Um, and Amazing. in that summary, um, one of the things he suggests you do is have two to-do lists. One is your open list that you can just keep writing things down that you need to do on. And the other is your closed to-do list, which you are only allowed to have 10 things on at most at all times. And you have to work off that list and you can't take anything from your open list and put it on your closed list, which are the things you are actually going to work on until you have removed something from your closed list because you have completed it. And ever since I read that, I have been doing it, and it okay. is fantastic. wait a minute. Explain that to me again. There's an 11-page summary. No. Uh, <laughs> you have wait. two lists. Okay, so it's confusing short, because it seems list. like your closed list... Yeah, your closed list... Well, define closed. Yeah. I mean, it means it's it closes it can it fills up at 10 and then it's closed so there are only 10 things on that list and those are you do one of those 10 things those are the things you work on everything else you have to do gets written on another list your open list but you don't work on okay. anything on that list until you I complete so you're, something on your closed you're capturing yeah. you're capturing to do's and then you're going to later put them in the queue yep but that you I choose like the that. ten important things, the ten most important things, and or that you know maybe the ten most urgent things. If if I start thinking about urgency and importance, my mind will blow up because that's how I spent the summer <laughs> of twenty twenty. Um, but you just ten things, right? And you have to complete something on that list of ten before you can move something on your infinite list to that list of I ten. Like it. Yeah, it's great, I and like I'm, it. you know, I mean. I, I read about it weeks ago. I've been doing it. And, um, you know, you, you can't be perfect, right? Sometimes an email comes in that you have to answer. Um, and, you know, not everybody can just ignore emails. But it really does help you focus and get things done. And, you know, just... just well, there, the, I mean, there's this... That is this... The, it, it, it confines you to... Yeah, to completing something 
you decided two days ago was important rather than giving yourself carte blanche to ignore the two day ago thing in order to do the one day ago thing. Right. Yep. I like that. Yep. It's well, I think what keeps me up at night in a work context is the emails from four days ago that I've just completely forgotten about, but that are no less important than the email that just came in five minutes ago. Well, am I doing enough? But it sounds like this is a kind of step in that direction. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I, I can tell you the other the, one of the tips of his that I've shared in our newsletter is uh, you got to do that new stuff first, otherwise the backlog just continues to grow. So in the email, he would have you do, you know, if you've got a backlog of email, you do the new stuff. See, that doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't fit in with the other tip, but uh, okay, but. <laughs> You know, like if if you've, I think that one is once you've developed a real backlog, what he would have you yeah. do is you take all of your emails that are older than some number of days that you suggest, you know, five days, two weeks, who knows, and everything that's older than that just goes in a folder called backlog, and you never look at it again unless you happen to complete <laughs> all of the new stuff, because your backlog is just gonna, you know, you're you're gonna, you know, you're you're already backlogged. And, and the backlog yeah, is yeah. kind of lost. Yeah, I probably have to go well, beyond part... the eleven-page summary in order to understand how <laughs> those two items uh, coexist. But he's also yeah. a writer who would really, you know, probably delight and make fun of his inconsistencies. I think, yes. because it's just his his thing is like there is a limited amount of time. You will not do everything. And the first thing you need to do is like give up on the idea of like doing everything or doing things yeah. correctly. If, even if yeah. you don't get the book, it's worth finding. He wrote a column for the Guardian for years, and uh, they're great. They're fun to just flip through. Love that. Yeah. Well, I, I've talked about it before, and but this makes me want to repeat that I have had to accept that I will never attain consistency in the way I do anything in in that realm, and. So in accepting that and realizing like I'm, I shouldn't commit to this will be my one to-do list notebook for the rest of my life. I now can take a sort of weird pleasure in like finding a scrap of paper, writing down like the three top priorities for my day, and then working off of that weird scrap of paper, knowing that it's going to disappear into the, you know, maelstrom tomorrow, but that today it has this certain resonance. Like, I can almost gain enjoyment from that and, like, release myself from the, the, the idea that I need consistency or that I will ever attain it in this productivity realm. And that's just more, my brain just likes it more, likes to be released from the expectation of that and can really just look at some priorities and not over-engineer what I know will be a fairly chaotic process. Yeah. Either way. But I do rely on, you know, to-do lists. I guess every maybe everybody does at this point. But I write them all down by hand. I switch pens or pencil every three times that I pick it up. I put it back down. I pick something else up. I scribble it down. I move it over to another piece. I actually, like, cut out a piece of a notebook and taped it into another page and that I, you know, are you, I, wait, that, I did you that, just say, but did you just, I embrace that there's no method, uh, and then, yeah. then you're 
cutting out paper and pasting them into their notebooks and switching pens. I'd every never time cut into. I'd never done that before in my life. Cut out a piece of paper and just taped it into another page for note taking purposes. But there, I found myself doing it. It was like the most delightful thing I did all day. Okay, but it's and but I it's looked. A, it's just a thing you did one day, so it's it is still yeah. part of your no process process. Yeah, never yeah. done that before in my life. Might never do it again. Loved it. Loved every second of it. Found my scissors, cut it out. Because I'd taken notes in one place. I wanted to move them over. Start a new list or God knows what. So I just cut it out. And then I even, get this, I even highlighted some of the notes that I cut out and moved over. I cut them out, moved them over, taped them in, highlighted them. I know, I never, I never highlight anything. I was having a ball over there. I was doing it up in the workplace. Should we do this again next week, Adam? Oh yeah, man! You, it's great to be back. I feel like uh, I feel like we're a couple of lost golf balls, buddy. <laughs> Check us out on the internet at takenote.space. Find all kinds of links to content that will enrich your understanding of the chaos. Uh, notes. I'm sorry to take photos of notes that are not really what he got level, but are just interesting notes from around the world. Yeah. Quotes if and you'd notes. like to hear, if you'd like to hear something <laughs> that's not quite as good as what you heard on the show today, visit takenote.space. You read it. You can read. If you want, not just hearing anymore. If you want to read something that's not, I know this isn't what you mean, but if it's, if you want to read something that's not quite to the caliber of what you've heard today, flesh pile. (laughs) No, these are snippets. These are like they're delightful. They are delightful. I've read them and I was delighted. All right, good. Well, that's that's at our website as well as links to our Patreon if you would like to support the show financially. For those of you who already do, man, thanks a bunch. It's really cool. A little wind beneath our wings. You can find a link to subscribe to our Substack, which is a, a newsletter we send out with just more thoughts and clicks and ponderances. And uh, got one coming out shortly where I do a little highlight on a cool uh, set of pens that my aunt gave me that belonged to my grandmother. So that's the kind of thing you can... Read about it in our newsletter. In the meantime, please do take care.